This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. Uh, I have a question uh, for you. Has anyone here ever been to Oxford in the United Kingdom? You've had a chance? Oh, wow. Okay, great. Oh, you did. Okay, I was going to say most of the Oxford folks are over here. Uh, Cambridge folks are on this side. Is that it? Uh, so, <laughs> Well, one of the first things you notice about Oxford um, is are, 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 are the walls. See, the, they are... Uh, or they surround most of the colleges, and their principal aim is to keep people out. Well, when I had the opportunity to do my residency, I uh, had a chance to stay in college at Christ Church. And one of the perks of being in college was that we got to wear this little name tag, and it was incredibly powerful, this name tag. So you pin it on, and and I was able to stride right through the front gate without skipping a beat uh, while the hordes of tourists were kept at bay by bulldogs and bowler hats. But it was all an illusion. It was. In no time short, uh, my, 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 my experience of privilege would just evaporate. And I would find myself on the other side of the wall. And it made me aware of how much of British society, well, our society, in fact, is based on privilege. You know, um, privilege has always been there, you know, in, in human cultures and societies. Maybe uh, you've heard of white privilege. People, you know, that, that has started to become more important more and more a part of the public conversation. Well, anthropologists tell us that most human, most human societies have some type of privilege strata woven into them. And uh, sometimes it is simply the luck of the draw that, or a fluke of birth. That is, you're born with it. It could be, you know, wealth, pedigree, ethnicity, gender, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever it is that gives people an advantage in that culture. And it, it doesn't seem really pronounced when you're on the inside enjoying its advantages. Why? Because that's simply status quo. And that's the irony of privilege. The privileged are mostly unaware of it, oblivious to how a particular skin tone, gender, age, economic status, education makes living in their culture easier, more secure, and empowering. And, you know, I'm largely unconscious of it because all of these flukes of birth are nominative. That is to say, it is systemic. Almost everything that is in our culture reinforces 
the goodness and the rightness of what makes the privileged privileged. Now, the issues um, involved in social, social and cultural privilege is really involved, and it's really critical to address. But the question of today's reading, I think the, today's reading raises the question is, why is privilege, or closer to the mark, status so appealing? Well, among many other things, one of the things it illustrates is our desire for recognition. No matter how independent-minded, no matter how individualistic we like to imagine ourselves, we still crave some type of recognition from others for validation, to, uh, to tell us who we are. And being new here, I am really aware of that. You know, I, I need to know that I'm doing a good job. You know, I, I need to know that you like me. Because <laughs> that's so important. We long to be liked. You know, when um, a little antidote, I talked about Peter, uh, my son, who's in New Zealand right now. You know, he went skydiving. You know, you know when your kids do something like really crazy? You imagine them as like two years old jumping out of a plane, you know, it's just a two-year-old with a beard. But um, <coughs> I used to read Peter's stories at night. And uh, so we would crawl into bed. And this particular evening uh, was, or, or the day had been absolutely fantastic. You know, we just had a lot of fun together and everything. And so he's cuddled down and li I'm lying beside him about ready to read when you give a moose a muffin. <clears throat> We're about ready. And he's got his little binky in his mouth, so he's talking like this. And he leans over with his tiny little hand and he pats my cheek. He goes, Papa, I like you. Oh. That was different. I mean, we say, I love you, and we mean it from the heart, but we've become so used to that. But to say, I like you, kind of changes that. We like <laughs> to be liked. And we are liked by others. And this is what gives us a sense of who we are and, 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 and self-worth with that. The fact is, is that we are a communal creature, which means that we socialize each other. You know, we learn how to perceive ourselves um, through each other's eyes. You know, we, we socialize, we, we learn to walk and talk, behave and think from each other. Consequently, another's opinion of us really matters. And I know it's not just achievement we crave, but the notoriety <laughs> that comes with achievement is almost just as important. We covet that for some type of identity and value and significance. And it's an intense need that we gladly allow, that we seek in having our worth be shaped by others. 
And when it starts to bend towards a sense of social superiority, that's when affirmation turns into, are you ready for it? Are you ready? Status. Now, I suppose it doesn't matter, you know, if it's in business or, or in society or in clubs or the tribe. We arrange ourselves by status, by a relationship to other people. We ask ourselves, where do I fit in here? You know, with, with this group, can I make a contribution? Will I be received? Or who do I have to be to be received? Can I be myself or do I have to become someone else in order to belong? For both the good and the bad, we find our identity, we find our self-understanding in our relationship with other people. In other words, peer pressure doesn't stop at graduation. We want to look good in the eyes of others. We start to stratify ourselves into hierarchies of title, fame, wealth, privilege, power, uh, property, and power. Status consciousness is ubiquitous. Every institution and any group of people will manifest it, including the church. It's everywhere. And Jesus didn't seem to care for it very much. Possibly because it polarizes people. Dr. Uh, Peggy McIntosh describes privilege as a type of zero-sum game. In order, um, in order for someone to have advantage, someone else has, has to be disadvantaged. You know, I'm not sure that it has to be that way, but it certainly ends up being played out that way. There are the haves and the have-nots, the insiders, the outsiders, the winners, the losers, and what have you. Status does that. And in Jesus' time, status was the name of the game played out in a sister, uh, sister system called honor and shame. And I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, and Jerome Nayray, who's a biblical scholar, said it was considered, honor and shame was considered to be the pivotal values of their culture. You know, people lived and died in quest of honor, reputation, fame, approval, and respect. It's called philotima. The love of honor was such a powerful driving force in antiquity. And here's the catch. Honor and shame is something that's bestowed upon you by the community. And he, um, your self-worth and value <laughs> were based upon what people thought of you. It was central. And I think that this is the dynamic that's happening in this story that Jesus is talking about. Uh, the setting is a very swish dinner party put on by a prominent leader, a person of repute and consequences. And no doubt there are all sorts of uh, movers and shakers there in Armani togas and Gucci flip-flops, you know. <clears throat> Dinners like this were really big deals, you know, and if you got invited to one, whew, wow, I mean... It was an opportunity to rub elbows with folks of standing, and you 
by all means would grab a hold of it. It boosted your reputation by being in the company of sophisticated folks. Because if you were in their company of sophisticated folks, that meant that you too were sophisticated. And you would hold your pinky up when you had tea and all of that sort. <clears throat> your reputation was so important. People put a lot of effort into being well-connected. And likewise, they avoided association with their lessers because who you associated with shaped what people thought of you. You see where this is going? And so it makes me wonder, well, first off, the whole thing is about privilege and prejudice. You see, and so it kind of makes me wonder what Jesus was doing there. Um, he was pretty much a peasant by birth and class, and the system he was born into said that he was an insignificant nobody. Of course, by this time, uh, he was pretty well-known. You might even say famous. So, was he there as a type of party novelty? You, you know, a quasi-celebrity? You know, you, people have dinner parties, and they invite somebody famous over, and so you could feel good like you were circling in the company of the stars, made you feel elevated. You know, had, you know, so was that what Jesus was doing there? You know, they, maybe they heard about him, and they, and they just wanted to have a first-hand look. Who knows? The thing that is marvelous about this story is Jesus is very, very, very aware of how things work in the world. He knows that we have a profound desire for recognition and acceptance. And he knows that dinners like this can be watershed moments to a person's reputation. And uh, he knows how the game is played. And so he's there and he's watching people jockey for um, the choice seats at the table. And so he gives them a little lesson in etiquette. When you come to a party, he says, don't try and take a seat at the head table because you might be asked to move down. Rather, take the lower seats and chances are you might be asked to move up. It's better to assume a position of humility and then be honored than to presume a position of honor and be humiliated. Pretty savvy advice. But it makes me wonder if there's more going on here. You see, I don't think Jesus is, is giving a few, a few pointers on how to earn a few extra social kudos, you know, and get ahead in the status games. Um, he knows how important it is to have people tell us um, how valuable we are to have others tell us how valuable we are. The question that's at play is, who is the other? Who's the other that you're seeking that sense of validation and self-worth from? I don't think, like I said, that Jesus was too into the status games. 
there are a lot of times, you know, that he out and out condemned it. First of all, it's a kind of idolatry that happens. It, it, it says that the source of your identity and self-worth is merely the total sum of what others think of you and how they relate to you. I wonder if, if that's why social media is so important. You know, you know, with the likes and everything like that. You know, we have strangers. We call them friends, but, you know, um, you probably never actually talk to them in person. But, you know, they give you a thumbs up, you know, and you're feeling, all right, I'm somebody here. You know, and you want to get more and more people following you. Yeah. Ooh, yes, we love that affirmation. But if that's where you're getting your sense of identity, if that's where you're getting your so sense of self-worth from, you're going to be in trouble. Because it's all pretense instead of substance. And it divide, denies the fundamental truth that God is the one who is the source and ground of our being, not the crowd. And I suppose that's one reason Jesus didn't get caught up in the manipulation and the chameleon effect of the social climbing game. I think he wanted us to know that there's another other who is not at the mercy and the whims of other others, who notices us, who, who gives us a self-worth beyond measure so we don't need to play the game and get caught in its pitfalls. We don't need privilege and status to justify our existence. Second, I think Jesus knew that the status games can become insidious very quickly because as uh, Macintosh is saying, if you get winners, you're going to get losers. If you have insiders, you're going to get outsiders. And, and you're going to have those who are on the outside, who are on the margins, who aren't worth the time and effort to, list, to, be, to listen to and to be cared for. That's how kind of this, this game gets a little bit insidious in there. Besides, eventually, at some point or other, even the most honored will get kicked down. Think about it. When you go to a, when you go to a grocery store <clears throat> and you're standing in line ready to check out, what magazines do you find? The tabloids. That's like that's right, you know, and and they're full of stories of stars who have fallen. And they say that tabloids and stuff like this are, are just sell, sell, and sell, and sell, and sell. Why? Because we like to make the gods and then bring them down. Why do you think we call them stars? They're up there where the gods are. And for there's something in us that relishes to see them fall. That's why the tabloids sell so well. A dangerous thing. A dangerous thing, Jesus is saying, is to get yourself all wrapped up in that. And so, by increasing our 
awareness, I think. Jesus attacked those popular ideas and institutions in order to free us from them. In a sense, he was calling a closure to the status games. That's why I think it's so fascinating about the rest of the story. He, you know, did you catch it? He turns to the host and says, next time, next time when you throw a party, invite those who don't have a ghost of a chance of paying you back. You know, the lame, the blind, the poor, your honor, your recognition is with God. So rise above the game. Don't be the one who seeks honor. Be the one who gives it instead. You see, it's about noticing others, about validating them, giving them a sense of self-worth and dignity, doing all of that and being free from any anxiety or ulterior motive. But let me warn you, it's a risk. Do not be mistaken about that. James Allison puts it this way. He says that in order to receive your reputation, that is, your being noticed and recognized by God, you have to be prepared to lose the reputation that comes from the in crowd. You have to be prepared to lose that reputation of those in high regard and find your reputation among those who are held as nothing or of no worth by society. That's the hard part. You know, <clears throat> I don't think we can avoid our, our need for acceptance. You know, that is, that's hardwired into our limbic brain. The question is, who is the other you depend upon for recognition and worth? Is it the cheer from the crowd, or is there another other? And if so, then there's one thing I think you can expect. Freedom. Freedom from the games real and true freedom to be yourself the way God creates you to be. To be yourself, your true self. And that is something no amount of rubbing elbows with the privileged can buy. Whew. That's good news. Amen. Amen.